Hey everyone, and welcome to Mind Body Grace Beauty Podcast, Clean Beauty School. I am your host and Mind Body Grains Beauty Director, Alexandra Engler. On this podcast, we explore beauty through the lens of well-being. Thank you so, so much for joining me today. Before we get into the episode, I just want to share a new series that we have on our website called Talk of the Team. This is a monthly franchise where the beauty team will talk about all of our favorite products that we tried that month. It just launched last week, and I put the link in our show notes so you can go check it out. This month, we talked about all of the products that helped restore us. Each month, we'll have a different theme, and all of the products that we try ladder up to that theme. The Mind Body Green Beauty team is always testing out the best and the newest clean beauty products. So if you like to stay up to date on, on the sort of launches that are out in the beauty space, especially the clean and natural beauty space, always be sure to check that out at the end of the month. Now on to the episode. So this podcast is over a year old and I cannot believe I haven't had a brow episode. Brows are one of the basics of beauty and anyone who has overplucked their eyebrows or gotten a bad wax or threading appointment knows this to be true. Personally, I have really thin brows. I always have. It worked for me in the 90s, but uh, not so much anymore. I am constantly looking for ways to make my brows look a little bit thicker and a little bit fluffier, but ultimately the brows I have are the brows I have. And in that vein, I had on brow specialist Joey Healy to discuss all of the ways you can make your natural brows work for you. This includes things like finding your ideal brow shape, using brow tints to your advantage, and what sort of makeup products you should be investing in. We had a lot of fun chatting about all things brows, and honestly, I feel like this episode could have gone on for so much longer. Even though they only take up a small amount of your face, there is so much to talk about with them. Plus, we just get into some fun things like brow trends and celebrity brows, so it is a very fun episode. Joey is a blast to talk to, which I think you will understand when you listen to that episode. So without further ado, I'm just going to go ahead and bring him on. Joey, welcome. Hey, Alexandra. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat with you. I am so excited. Thank you so much for joining and thank you so much for being such an incredible source for my buddy Green. And it dawned on me that I haven't done a brow episode and I I realized that I I couldn't have a better source to do it with. So here you are. I'm so excited to jump into this and and hear all of your incredible advice. But before we do that, I always like to start every episode by, you know, letting our audience get to know you a little bit better. What was your journey in beauty? That's a good question. It started It started when I, in my 20s, my early 20s. I had gone to school to Villanova. I studied business. I focused on marketing, um, which looking back was really an, a great first step, just in kind of establishing the business mindset that would take me further in my career. But I was really always interested in, in art. And that was since I was a young kid. And I sort of went down that rabbit hole that moved me kind of more generally and broadly into specifically eyebrows. 
art turned into fashion and kind of costume design, which when I moved to New York in 2007, I intended to work in the costume design industry. I liked working with my hands. I liked creating. And then from that, makeup sort of arrived because it was so hand in hand. I was working in a lot of theaters and I eventually became a makeup artist at the New York City Ballet, and that was a wonderful job for so many years. I got to travel with them and, you know, learn in a high-pressure environment. And through all of that, brows then kind of filtered out to being my thing. It was what I was known for. I would do all the ballerinas' eyebrows. That was something that was sort of pointed out to me. It wasn't something that I necessarily strove to um discover and perfect, but I felt like I had a little bit of a natural talent and I was getting that kind of feedback. So basically because we were working late at night, probably starting at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. for the ballet shows, just a little side hustle was doing eyebrows during the day. I did house calls. I lived uptown, so I really kind of focused on that Upper East Side client. And it was kind of like a little side hustle and it really exploded. And that was when, you know, it's kind of... I always tell people, like, just kind of start on your path wherever it is, as broad as it is. You just want to start. And for me, that was being in New York, realizing I wanted a creative career and then kind of focusing it down into into what it eventually became was with eyebrows. And it, it certainly hasn't been easy in the career, building things and setbacks like COVID. But kind of when you're on the right path, the doors do just sort of open, you know, and so you're, you're not met with as many obstacles as when you're trying to force a career. I kind of listened to people around me and they said, hey, you're pretty good at makeup. Hey, you're pretty good at eyebrows. And- okay. You know, you you obviously have your own business now. What what was the point where you decided that you wanted to do brows full-time? And was that like scary to jump in, you know, to take that leap? It was. I mean, I haven't gotten, you know, a regular paycheck in well over a decade. Just, you know, I had a good old direct deposit from another company. I think that that kind of is the first thing when people are looking to build their own thing is, you know, can I establish financial security and can I, is this going to set me on a path for growth and success in the future? Um, What I saw was a market opportunity. I have always been a tweezer. I'm a tweezing kind of guy. No wax, no thread. And at the time when I started, like maybe 2008, 2009, it was, I, women were really largely waxing their brows at a nail salon. It was an add-on service. They were getting awfully thin. And they, these are, you know, New York City clientele, mostly women who have, you know, they're shopping at Bergdorf, they're lunching uptown, they're spending time on their appearance and their lifestyle and not their eyebrows. So I thought that there was a real opportunity to create more of a luxury service that was that was missing in the market. And so realizing that there was an opportunity was kind of what helped me take that leap. It wasn't me jumping into an already saturated industry. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago, but at the time, I kind of would ask me what I did. I said, well, I guess I'm like a brow specialist. And that was a wacky thing for people to hear. You hear that all the time now. You're a lash specialist, brow specialist. I certainly didn't invent the career, but there was a there was like two other people in New York who kind of did brows as well as other things. So I saw a lot of opportunity, and I think that that's probably when you know focusing kind of on creating a business, you have to there has to be a need for you, not just that trading market. And I also felt that way when I created a product line two years later that there weren't enough shades for women of color or for redheads. That there weren't great formulations at the time, just you know old fashioned pencils you had to sharpen. I just I never try to be excessive in the things that I offer and to saturate. I think it's it's great to see where you can contribute and further along a certain industry and really offer something unique. Yeah. 
I, I it's fascinating that you bring up when you started that brow specialist wasn't necessarily a thing. And, you know, it because now that you're talking about it, I'm realizing you're absolutely correct that it's only relatively recently that, you know, brow specialists or hi- these hyper specialized beauty experts have become so ubiquitous in places like New York. So it's interesting that, you know, you saw something there and, you know, you were able to identify it before it became part of the site. Yeah, it's it's funny too, like things that we think have been around forever have not been like nail salons, they became around in the 80s. There weren't nail salons around that everyone would go to in the, in the 60s. You know, I mean, there was like you go to the beauty parlor or paint your own nails. Sometimes you can create these bigger, these bigger worlds from where you see those need sets. When I did take my brows, my first brow studio was on the center floor of a building. It was very discreet, myself and an assistant. People would have to, you know, book online. It wasn't a place you would walk by. You had to kind of be in the know a bit. Now I have a ground level studio. And I felt like that was because the recognition of the service is so broad now. I feel like if you walk past a studio that's an eyebrow studio 15 years ago, it'd be like going past like an earlobe studio. You'd be like, what is <laughs> <laughs> but now people will walk by and I hear them say, oh, it's a brow bar. And I like a little pet peeve yeah. of mine. It's a brow studio. It's not a brow bar. <laughs> I love that there's so many brow bars out there because they've helped kind of ease consumers into like, into like accepting, welcoming and having mind space for the service. Sure. And of course, you know, we see all kinds of clients, men and women, young and old. So it's not just, you know, the rich and famous, fabulous celebrities or those Upper East Side women who are coming to me. It's everybody. What is your beauty philosophy? That's a great question. It's it's kind of grown and changed and developed over the years. I really do believe in the foundations of beauty, which are, you know, to me, it's, it's skin, it's brows, it's teeth, it's hair. We're not all blessed with all of those things. Sometimes we don't have great hair. Sometimes we don't have great skin. But it's to me, it's like those foundations, if you can kind of embrace the ones that are powerful for you, and then you can work on the things that need a little bit of a messing. You try to kind of focus on those basics. Then you can build out in any direction. You know, if you're taking good care of your skin, you're hydrating and you're protecting it from the sun, then maybe you can play around with contouring or or baking your under eyes or all that other stuff. You know, you can play around with a seasonal lip color if that's like a little, you know, everything else can be drawn from curiosity, but really paying attention to the basics and building a strong foundation. And again, you know, those things, it doesn't matter if you're 19 or 90, it's part of what makes us look and feel good. And it's also, you know, good basics of like self-care and just feeling our best. So really down to the basics. And of course, that also includes not focusing too heavily on trends unless they're not, you know, they're kind of non-permanent in any. Sure. Well, you know, speaking of basics, let's lay the groundwork for the basics of eyebrows. You are a tweezer guy. Why? So I like the artistic precision of one hair at a time. To me, that really makes the difference. It's just far more precise. Waxing is rough on the skin. There's heat, there's chemicals. It kind of removes the top layer of the skin. There's a lot of contraindications for waxing that people don't always know. You're not to wax if if you're on Accutane or if you use retinol, which so many of us do. If you're sunburned or just had a sprayless tan, it's just that there's a lot of issues that can kind of come up. People often will break out afterwards. It's it's rough on the skin and it does break down the collagen and elastin around the eye area over time. You know, maybe it's a fast pull, but if you were to slow it down, it's quite a violent process getting your eyebrows waxed. I'm not against waxing when it comes to areas where you're not discriminately removing hair on tougher body parts that have more, sure. you know, for skin, your legs, 
your boyfriend's back, your underarms, all good and yeah. well. It's for the brow area, the skin is the thinnest skin on you know the human body, right around the eye. So it's not well tolerated. Of course, you can also get burned. I just need this to say it's a little rough for me. Threading is better in that regard where it's more of a natural approach, but it treats the brow hairs like they grow in straight rows and lines and they really don't. And what I find is that with waxing, they kind of get thin over time. With threading, they seem to get really asymmetrical. It's very hard to do the same thing on both sides. I think it's just because of the nature of like that taut thread, even like a slight change in angle completely changes the incline or decline of a brow line. It's just a hard way to draft the brow. Um, tweezing is something that, I mean, you can also instruct clients how to do a little cleanup at home. It's like user-friendly. It's it's precise. It takes a little bit longer to complete the service, a little bit, but it's really, you can see it in the result. I had a gentleman the other day who had a very, very straight, dark, heavy brows. And so on the line underneath, I didn't want to give him this super, super clean line. So I removed like every other hair with the tweezers mm -hmm. to lighten up the row. You couldn't do that with wax or thread. Yeah. So it gives you that kind of thing. That's, that technique is incredibly intelligent. It's just, I, I'd never even think to do something like that to like give a little bit about like a soft focus almost. So, you know, let's talk about how people can identify what brow works best for them. In an ideal world, everybody would come to somebody like you and be able to find out. But, you know, that's not avail necessarily available to everybody. So what's some advice that you often give people who, you know, maybe have to do this at home and they don't have the resources of a brow specialist? You're totally right. And it's what's great and why I like to do podcasts like this and share tips on mind, body, greenness, because there's so much education and so that you can offer somebody so they can really kind of manage and take care of their own brows and become their own brow specialist. I think you do want to listen to your own natural brow. And maybe what it is, is you were born with these like beautiful Italian eyebrows, just like your Italian father. Um, and having something that's kind of overworked and thin and skinny is kind of pushing hard against that. Maybe you have, you know, you're a blonde and you have soft, wispy, light kind of gingery brows. And I mean, if they were very thick and you were to dye them black, they could be too much of a punch in the face and they could be overwhelming. So I think we want to modify what we already have and we want to start with the basics. That's why it's always good if you're going to redo your brows, just let them grow out, really sit on your hands. Don't do any form of maintenance, maybe the dead center for about a month. I'd say maybe four to six weeks. Then see what you're working with. A lot of people who came in to the brow studio after COVID really had that opportunity of being isolated and they were able to really rework their shape. So it was a good opportunity to hit like restart. I think starting with your natural brow, see what about it that you actually like love. Maybe it's naturally fluffy and it's fringy. Okay, we like that. We want to retain that. Maybe we find that they're a little asymmetrical. One's lower than the other. We want to correct that. I think it's nice to look at your favorite brow. We all have a favorite brow. And <laughs> that can be a little bit of the North Star when it comes to your shaping. Like we want to make, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to make the, the, good, the good one bad just for the sake of symmetry. We want to kind of move the brows in the other direction. So I think a good assessment of where your starting point is, what you like about them, what you want to enhance, finding your favorite brow and kind of moving in that direction. Um, but I think the thing is, it is highly personalized. It doesn't often work when you look at a celebrity's brows and you want to copy and paste down to you. It's, it's an individual thing. So we have to see where our starting point is. And maybe, maybe they're a little far apart, but maybe the hairs in the front part are extra wispy and you can kind of comb them forward. Maybe your brows are 
a little thin, but the individual hairs are long and they have a lot of texture. So you really want to see where those positive attributes are and make sure that you're retaining those. In the most practical terms, I really feel like your brow should be right on your brow bone. And if you actually feel your brow bone, we want the brow centered right on there. And it's a great kind of guideline. Sometimes these things that seem the most elementary are the things that make the most sense. Often people, you know, a lot of Botox, their brows will go above their brow bone, or as we age and our skin kind of, you know, goes in one direction, we find that we need a little extra lift on it. So kind of getting the brows nice and focused on the brow bone is a great idea. And then there's some actual basic things. Bridge of nose. If you take a brush and you kind of push against the bridge of your nose, great place for them to start. Not the nostril edge, but really the bridge of the nose. Corner of nose to corner of eye. For me, that's the bare minimum where they should really end. You can go a drop past that as long as you're not getting off into that temple where you're really not on the brow bone. And then as a general rule of thumb, the arch should be about two thirds of the way out, not centered. Those are the good tenants of a good of a good brow. And within that, you can play. You can make them fluffy. You can dye them darker. You can make them lighter. But if they start at the bridge of the nose, generally end corner of nose to corner of eye, arch at two thirds of the way out, and they're on your brow bone, that's a good start. Okay. A follow-up question about arches. Is there any sort of guidelines that you have on how, I'm trying to find the right wording, but almost like dramatic the arch should be, or, you know, like how much of an arch should be there? Is there anything that you use as an indicator? That's a good question. I mean, and that is kind of the word. It's a little dramatic, but it's nicely yeah. defined. Well, it depends on the need set of the person. Maybe they have a deeper set eye and they're concerned with aging. A little extra arch does brighten and awaken an eye. When somebody's looking for a heavier brow, that's not always a bad thing because sometimes it can kind of look brooding and a little stormy in a way that can be very, like a very handsome brow. So it really depends on what your goal is and what your concerns are. I generally find that the everybody has an arch. So sometimes people say, oh, I don't want any arch in my brows. Everyone has an arch. I simply define the arch as that the highest point in the brow. It doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be remarkably high. And another way I think about the arch, which is a little bit more in geometric terms, are, is that the brow is really in like two segments, the head and the tail. And so the arch is really just the art of negative space. It's determined by how and where and like what angle the head meets the tail. So it just really depends on what your natural arch looks like. And if you want to kind of lean into what nature is telling you, because we all have an arch. And if you want to kind of give the eye a more open and lifted appearance, or if you want to make the brow kind of a little bit heavier, which is sort of a fashion brow that's happening yeah. too. I also will say too, some people want a straighter brow. There's a big difference to me between straight and flat. Straight has still has a little bit of lift because the brow is kind of, in, it's on an incline basically. Flat really doesn't look good on anyone when it's dead flat because it makes the forehead look very broad and it really removes expression. Mm. But arches, I guess it's that's the art of it and that's the fun of it. If you're not sure, don't do as much art. Because <laughs> that you can get into trouble. And often, I mean, I have so much to say about the arch. You really opened a big gap for me. I love this, please. <laughs> I also find that the arch is not just what happens underneath, it's also what happens on top of the brow. So mm. we do want to around the top that has a little peak that it's inclining and declining. We don't necessarily want a triangle on the top, but we do want that little moment where the brow goes up and the brow goes down. Because if the brow is too flat on the top, you can take out as much hair as you want underneath, but you'll never really have an arch. You'll just have like a scoop of hair gone. So also yeah. pay attention, maybe all it takes is a little powder or a little pencil and you accentuate that little peak on the top of the arch and then you have the amount of drama that you want 
without sacrificing precious brown. You know, what are some common mistakes that you see people make when they are tweezing their own brows? see all kinds of mistakes all the time. I suppose I'll kind of broaden it to tweezing and trimming. I think that people think that trimming is like a slam dunk. So easy. What can go wrong? Everything. <laughs> I like to trim hairs one at a time on like an angle, kind of like a downward angle. I find that some people give themselves like the crew cut. It's straight sure. across blunt. Brows would never grow like that. And you can tell they just want it. They want it like that. Also, your the length of your individual brow hairs is helpful because they can blanket each other and eliminate gaps where if you're cutting them too short, you can kind of reveal little dashy gaps because they're either not getting that overlap. So I think oversimplified trimming, which also includes sometimes people comb their brows down and then trim, which is mm. illogical because when you comb them up, you can find that you need all sorts of little gaps and holes. And we don't style our brows in any TikTok universe, like down, it's always kind of brushed yeah. up or over. So I wouldn't do that. As far as arch placement, like I said, two thirds of the way out is like a good rule of thumb. Sometimes a centered arch happens and it just isn't very flattering. If it's too round, they look like two circles, two rainbows. If it's too angular, it looks like two little triangles. So I would say centering the arch. Other issues, I'd say shortening the tail too much because it's okay. hard to kind of shape your brow tails often. You really do have to kind of use probably two mirrors or really kind of, you know, mm -hmm. yourself the major side eye while you're doing it. And I think that people often will kind of taper the tail too quickly and it ends too soon. If the tail is too short, the eye can kind of look puffy a little bit. I People trying to fix mistakes, knowing that they made a mistake and then trying to fix it with tweezers. If you make a mistake, you put the tweezers down, you say a little prayer, and then you go off and do whatever else you're going to do. <laughs> you can't try to fix it, even it out, because it just turns yeah. into like panic of you ripping out all of these great brow hairs. So I think it's like trying to like overcorrect. It's like driving on ice, and like you lose control, and then sure. you're, you're crazy. It's, I mean, it's, it's knowing your limits. And also, yeah. I think really mistakes, tweezing too long. I tell people sometimes, like, if you're that kind of person, set a timer on your phone for like 10 minutes once a week. And then, you know, it's like tweezers down. It's, it's, you have to exercise self-control and good judgment. And if you could do both of those things conscientiously, then you'll probably give yourself a good cleanup without getting into the danger. Okay. All great advice. You know, we, we've kind of set up the conversation and talking about how, you know, you can achieve a brow that, that works for you. And what I find personally, what I run into conflict within even myself is there's always these brow trends that are happening, right? You know, there's always a brow shape or a brow whatever that is more in vogue. And I find it hard to be able to stick with, you know, my my standard brow, which is, you know, it is what it is. I kind of just have like thin brows. It's, they've always been that way. And, you know, wanting to go after a more trendy brow. And, you know, what are your thoughts on brow trends in general? The thing is, it's interesting because I feel like the trends we see are so wild and crazy and they're lots of fun and they're inspiring and they're good for inspo often, but they could always be interpreted in a much more user-friendly way. It's just like fashion. If you see a giant purple dress that's like the shape of a circle going down a runway, maybe you're going to like that color, but that doesn't mean you need to have like a hoop skirt where you're on the, on the bus, you know, because yeah. it's just not practical. 
so for example, like that kind of soap brow, I, to me, an extreme version of that is doing brow lamination. Not a big fan. It is chemicals around the eye and it's just, it looks unusual. It's kind of shiny. It's kind of obvious, you know, not for me, but maybe you can get a clear brow gel that isn't like non-crunchy and you can do two coats and you can co- co- I'm just sweep them up vertically and then that's a version of doing it maybe it's that you're seeing that a trend is microblading and that people are all doing permanent makeup which i have you know i think it's riddled with problems because the color fades and it changes and it's just can get to be a big mess but maybe that means that you're switching to a wax-based pencil instead of your regular powder to get something that's a little bit more defined you know it can be that you're, you're participating in the trends with cosmetics or with services that don't really have to do with hair removal. If you want a higher arch, maybe do highlighter under your brow. If you've never done that before, it makes it really snappy. If every, you know, it's again, if like really dark brows are coming back and maybe tint your brows the last four to six weeks, but it won't cause any harm or damage. I guess when I look at trends, I see a lot of stuff specifically on TikTok, things that are kind of fun, there's like two categories, like fun and like, oh no, <laughs> like on like the disco brow where you're maybe doing brow gel and then some glitter in the brow, or you're doing like a chapstick and then some like beads and baubles in the brow, something to kind of adhere to it. That's good. But then I see, you know, the, what's been called the fox brow or mm-hmm. where people kind of shave off the outer half of their brow and then draw it in, in a much higher way. That's where we're getting into the territory of like, it's not like, it's not fun in games anymore. It's you're, you're removing a hair that may or may not grow back. And we all know that that's like a whole journey for certain people. Sometimes it's easier than others. So if you're looking at a trend and you're off to Coachella and you want to take like some neon eyeshadow and put it into your brows, I actually really think that that's fun. And I'm not, you know, some old Scrooge that's like, brows when I was a boy, they were real proud. <laughs> but I, so it's like, go ahead and have fun, do your thing. But not when it comes to damaging the hair with chemicals or hair yeah. removal. And then just frankly, because I do run Joey Healy Eyebrow Studio in the city. We're open seven days a week. We have a lot of clients. I have a lot of specialists. I see what people want and they're not asking for those trends. So even though those kind of, you know, on Instagram, we see celebrities. No one's coming in asking for totally bleached brows. Not really. I mean, that one maybe very periodically. No one's coming in looking for... Some of these things are a little bit more outlandish. It's just people want a classic brow that suits their face. And it really, the, the trend stuff is more on social media and less coming through the doors of the brow studio. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. Um, yeah. People will do some pretty outlandish stuff for, for views on TikTok, but it's not, it's not for real life always. <laughs> I think nails are different. Like you can try something, like really try something. And then that yeah. could be a great couple of weeks, but it's not when it comes to your brows, people, I think they, you know, not everyone is Bella Hadid when they talk about this, like Y2K skinny brow. She looks otherworldly. I mean, she's, she's stunning and remarkable in so many different facets of her bone structure. And, you know, who knows? all of her secrets, but most people don't look like Bella Hadid. And so that brow is probably going to be a lot harder to pull off. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. Like, hmm, I don't think this is as flattering on my face as I would. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously within this conversation, we have talked about the, the dangers of doing too much hair removal, especially in the eyebrow area. So let's let's touch on regrowth. Obviously, this is a journey for for a lot of people. So the most basic question is, can you actually regrow brow hair 
You can. And it's actually kind of, a, I mean, that's the short answer. You know, with my other long answers, like I wouldn't come in for you because it really is complex. It depends on the person. Um, you know, again, like maybe if like you're a, a, like a 15 year old Indian girl with robust brow growth and, or if you're like a 90 year old Nana, it might be a little bit trickier, right? Everyone has a different starting point and also different, like it's genetics, it's, it's age, it's all kinds of things that and, and kind of interpret what you're going to be able to regrow because there is a period of life too, like, you know, past like a certain point in aging, especially with hormones change, like menopause and stuff where you do, your brows do kind of diminish over time. They start to, you start to lose some on the tail. It's, it's normal. It's part of the aging process, but aging isn't always tied to our brows. So again, it depends on where you are in that process. If you're regrowing because of, of overworking them, which is something that we most commonly see, or if you're just trying to hold on to what you already have, but it really does, it really depends on the person. The answer is that you can. Hair grows, rests, and sheds. It goes through those three stages of hair growth, just like the hair in our head, antigen, catagen, telogen. It's the growth, rest, and shedding phases. Our brows grow in a cycle, 12 to 16 weeks for a new brow hair to come in. If your hair follicles are well taken care of and they're in good condition and you're encouraging growth with using things like serums, vitamins, a good diet, then yes, absolutely. Patience is the first thing. Sometimes people will also still kind of touch up their brows or get them shaped. It's not saying that you can't do that throughout the brow growth journey, but maybe not yourself. Maybe trust a professional to help hold you by the hand because you might be taking away things that are actually beneficial. Everything looks like a stray until there's a couple more next to it, then you're getting a line of hair. But the answer is that you absolutely can regrow your brow. Okay. What are some things that might be getting in the way of brow regrowth? You know, you mentioned like stay away from the tweezer during the the regrowth process, you know, because you really just want to let it come in. But are, you know, are there, and, you know, diet is obviously, like you said, plays a factor in this, but are there other things that can inhibit growth that people may not realize? There are things. Like, I think if you're using, like, very heavy astringents and toners that have AHA or BHA acids in them. Your brows aren't going to really love that. So I would say any harsh chemicals that you're, you're, we would be doing on your face. Moisturizer, for example, is not a problem. It's hydrating and the brow and the skin and the follicle impact likes it. And I guess even with some form of like AHA light exfoliation, that it could exfoliate brow hairs in some way. But I, again, anything that seems like it'd be harsh or drying, I would avoid around the brows. And that includes skincare too. Sometimes like we'll do really intense masks, like peel off masks can rip off your brows, which is funny when it's someone else, not when it's you. <laughs> funny on TikTok, not funny in real life. Maybe using rotary brushes on your face, like a Clarisonic, if you're really going across your brows, you're, if your brows are apt to shed anyway, but they're not really kind of in the follicle in a good way, they're weak, then using a rotary brush is going to, and it's going to speed up and expedite the shedding process, which I guess could even be washing our face to, you know, brutally. So I would just be, I mean, some of that is almost kind of common sense, right? So it's using mechanical exfoliants where they're granular and you're rubbing them onto your brows. You're just being a little harsh on them. I've heard that people have thought before that sunscreen in the brows, I've heard that for certain people, I'll hear this in the summer, that they feel like they have to be careful. I don't, there is no real evidence of that, but it's anecdotal and maybe worth sharing. Everyone should be wearing sunscreen beyond, but you know, listen, there's, a, there, there's so many different chemicals when you cut sunscreen, it's possible that they could not be ideal for hair growth, but really it's, I think people overworking them in the process and just kind of being basically, you know, abusive to their face in general. 
So what are some ingredients and, you know, topicals that you do recommend for the brow area? So that's the good news. There's tons of great things that can help with brow growth and your brows are pretty resilient. So you, you don't have to worry about, you know, which side am I sleeping on or sure. like if you don't have to, you, if your brows are that weak, that might be a bigger issue that could, you know, sometimes be an indication of a thyroid problem or something like that. So the good news are that your brows, if you're just patient, you're kind of hands off, you don't have to babysit them too much. And then the further good news is that there's a lot of things that you can do to enhance them. So our number one product in the Jerry Healy collection is our brow renovation serum. We've talked about it before with Mind Body Green. And of course, there's a lot of other great serums on the market. Some not so great, some great. What you want to look for and what is in our brow renovation serum is peptides. Peptides are when there's lots of amino acids that come together, they create peptides. And then when peptides are in long chains, they create proteins, which really are the building blocks of hair. So peptides are really the power ingredient. It's also the ingredient that's expensive to source as a raw material and often will make those serums a little bit more expensive. That, you know, our serum is backed by a lot of other things too, botanicals, the ACE vitamins, vitamins A, C, and E. There's chamomile, cucumber, eyebright, rose, licorice, white tea. There's all kinds of great botanicals. Also hyaluronic acid is another heavy hitter. It's a humectant and it binds moisture to the brow and it creates this greenhouse effect. Hyaluronic acid can hold a thousand times its weight in water. So if I'm looking at our serum specifically in the pyramid, primary would be peptides, secondary would be glycosaminoglycans, amino acids, hyaluronic acid, tertiary and supportive would be vitamins and botanicals. It's, you know, you can find brow serums that just have vitamins and botanicals while they'll nurture and nourish existing brow hair. They don't really do anything to actively refrow. So just knowing that is important. Things I would avoid would be like prostaglandins. They're in products like lash growing products, specifically Latisse, which is a prescription product. It can get the job done with regrowth, but prostaglandins are hormones. There's a lot of contraindications there. You're not to use them if you're pregnant or nursing. And even if you're not, it gives me pause when they could be, they, they can affect the body in that way. There's reported change in eye color, darkening of the skin around the eye, not just at the site of um, application. So I'm sure it's quite a price to pay for some more brow. But I'd say the big heavy hitter is look for peptides and the formula does matter. Even the brush matters. I like having a real mascara wand because mm -hmm. it helps get the product in there. And also brushing your brows, even with a mascara wand like that, with the product, it increases circulation and blood flow to the brows, which is another benefit. Sometimes you see these teeny weeny little like synthetic, narrow, almost like eyeliner brushes they look like. And mm -hmm. that is because a lot of products are kind of brow and lash, but it makes it very, very difficult for application. And not only does that mean that you might not get it where you need to, but if something's difficult for application, you just don't do it. And I will say with serums, you do have to be consistent. You can't just kind of remember here and there. You want to be consistent. Yeah. The consistency is such a, an important point for hair growth in general, just because, you know, we know how complicated hair growth is on all fronts and especially true of the brow area. So, you know, if you, if you are like really, really serious about brow growth, consistency is always key. I, I want to ask a little bit more about brow styling and brow color. Let's, let's dive into a little bit of the color. What is, how do you identify somebody's ideal that's a good question. So, you know, it kind of can come from two things. One is the hair on their head and then their existing brow color. I tend to like brows that are a little bit darker than that had hair because I feel like it just kind of 
anchors the face beautifully. And we can kind of take that like indication of what's kind of going on with their hair and maybe go to like their base color in their hair, the darkest color in their hair. Also, sometimes you can take cues from your natural brow color, what they kind of naturally are. So maybe your brows, for example, are they're dark brown, but then there's some white or gray in them. So maybe we just want to, you know, get rid of the white and gray and keep the dark brown. But I always think about enhancing and turning up the volume in the brow a bit. So if you're sort of a golden blonde, maybe you want to be like a little bit more of a richer golden blonde. Or, you know, if they're kind of like a dusty, mousy brunette, maybe you want more of a chocolatey color. One thing I do like to assess is like warm, cool, or neutral. So mm-hmm. if you're warm, it could be that you're a redhead, that you had, you're a warm brunette. You want to sign brow colors that actually have a little bit of that kind of cinnamony warmth in them. Conversely, if you're very cool toned in your hair color, like really kind of true black hair, it can sometimes almost be blue black. It has that sort of element. So they look good with things that are more of like a charcoaly base. And then a lot of people right in the middle, like ash is a very common thing you see with like brow pencils and brow powders, because a lot of people do fall right in the middle. For me, if I'm using our black brow powder, which is called Raven, I can do the the slightest application. So it's like a whisper of smoke. And for somebody who is fair and does not want a high impact brow, I can achieve that with that product. So you can, if you kind of know the undertone, then it could be about the application is like how intense Mm. because we can all take, I mean, certain products, you could take a a, a pencil and blend it out and and get all different kind of levels of variation through it. But the undertone is like the important thing, warm, cool, or neutral, but start with your hair. And if I had to, you know, say, I think the one shade darker, if if I was going to make kind of a big blanket statement, I tend to like, because I'm a brow guy. Okay. One shade darker. I can, we can do that. In terms of day-to-day styling, what sort of brow products do you prefer? Because we know that there are so many brow makeup products out there, right? Gels, pencils, powders, et cetera. What's your preference? So I think it's good to have like a brow wardrobe where you have something for this, something for that. Maybe like you love your brow powder in the day and it's in your vanity and you use your brow brush to apply it. But maybe when you're traveling, you like your pencil because you don't need a brush. As simple as that, it's smaller, can't break in your luggage necessarily. So maybe there's like some utility there. I am a fan of like tinted brow gels. It's, it's super trendy now. We have one called Brow Lacquer that really packs a punch. I feel like they do three things. They can fill in your brows, add that density of color. They also coat the individual hairs. So maybe you're between professional tintings or you have a couple of blonde or white ones that popped up, we'll cover those. And then you can use it to style your brow, your brows in terms of and get them set for the day. Our brow lacquer product is also like waterproof. So it's just like a great beach product. We sell a lot of it in the summer and it just makes a lot of sense. It's a microfine brush and it's just very popular. The thing is, when you make products, if you want to sell those products, you really have to make things easy to use and not too fussy. And so tinted brow gels tend to be like, you know, minimum in terms of like what the product actually is. It's a small little tube, like a minimum hassle and maximum impact. That's a good way to start. Okay. For day-to-day styling, do you recommend like usually brushing up? Do you have kind of like a... It obviously probably varies quite a bit depending on, you know, the brow shape, et cetera. But is there some general tips that you tend to give people for day-to-day styling? A great way to start. I like to generally brush them up in the front and then kind of once you're past the front, kind of a 45 degree angle over. And then I like to finish by kind of pinching ground to place in the tail. So you're basically kind of following the natural direction of hair growth, but you're making sure they're, you know, kind of 
you know, you want to look bright eyed and bushy tailed. So it's sort of having them combed in that way in a mostly upper direction, again, kind of vertical in the front and then 45 degree angle, then kind of crisp on the tail. That just kind of keeps them looking, it, it highlights the shape and it keeps the eye looking very open. I don't think we need to like always fill in the whole brow. It's something where if you have the right color and it's something that we talked about earlier about finding that undertone and finding that shade that kind of fits, you can fill in one little area and not have to do the whole thing. So sometimes things can look very heavy when we, I feel the way that way about like foundation and concealer too. Sometimes instead of doing a face of foundation, maybe just like a little concealer here and there, just kind of evens things out or just a little bit of like a tinge of moisturizer on the cheeks where we're red, just spotting. We kind of have learned to spot treat ourselves like that with makeup. And so with brows, it's no different. It also leads me to one other thing I kind of forgot to say before, because if there's a scar in the brow, for example, you can use a little pencil, throw it on the scar and you know, it doesn't have to be through the whole brow, but brow hair will not regrow on scar tissue. Sometimes we mm. do ask that. So when it comes to regrowth, a burn or a scar, it's, it's tough out there, but a pencil might be a solution there. When it comes to basic brow styling, it definitely has to be about ease and speed. And so brushed up with a tinted gel, generally you can't go wrong. Okay. Who are some of your favorite celebrities who have an amazing brow? There's, a, there's quite a number of them. I would say Dua Lipa stands yeah. out. Adele, very classic brow. Zendaya, I love her, her brows are kind of swept up in that natural way. Let's see who else. Even like Jake Gyllenhaal, like kind of dark and kind of fluffy and not so manicured. So many good brows. So many good brows. Billie Eilish, I think, has a okay. fun kind of sportier brow versus like the Adele, which is a lot more sleek and kind of tailored. So there's lots of different things I like in... I, there's a lot of different ways to wear your brows. It doesn't always have to be these big, dark fashion brows that I love. Yeah. I always loved Juliana Margulies, and she's mm -hmm. a client now. So that is like a lot of fun because I've always loved her brows and I've done Amazing. her brows for a few years. And so... It's fun to work on like iconic brows that you know, but she really does have fabulous, fabulous eyebrows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's talk about you and what you do for yourself. I want to start with the beauty routine. What do you do for skincare? Okay. So skincare, I'm lucky enough to receive a lot of great products, which I'm sure you are too, which sometimes can make it easy and sometimes it can make it confusing. But I've been able to kind of collect an arsenal of products and I really do vary depending usually on time of year. I am in New England. It's, you know, cold, cold, dry winters, really hot, sweaty summers. I tend to be more on the oily side. So I do adjust my skincare based off what's kind of going on. Cleansing, I like to use a foaming cleanser in the shower. For me, I don't really worry about foaming cleansers stripping the skin. I know that they do have some kind of surfactants in them to make them foam. But for me, I just, you know, my oil production seems to be under control. It doesn't strip the skin too much. But my skin can handle that. That's in the morning. I'll use a lightweight serum. My skin doesn't react well to vitamin C, which is a shame. I get yeah. so red. But I keep trying. But I will use a lightweight serum. There's one called Green Machine from In Beauty Project. That's like the line, which is wonderful. I also use from Drop Elephant this water-based emulsion. It has a blue cap. A lightweight serum. Um, in then into that serum, I mix in a medicated cream for my dermatologist, which is clindamycin and benzoyl peroxide. I am prone to acne. Both of those are antibacterial. So that that duac is what it was typically called. And then that that there's the generic is just benzoyl peroxide and clindamycin. So lightweight serum, benzoyl peroxide. Then I'll use a very lightweight moisturizer in the summer, a heavier moisturizer in the winter. And into that, I mix in my sunscreen. I like Elta MD SPF uh, 46. 
I'm good about my on screen, but only in the past few years, we have to learn at some point. And I will do, right? I'll do a lightweight eye cream, something that I prefer. So like there's one that I have that's like a liposome gel. It's, it's very, very lightweight. I have been known to like rollers too, because it feels like that kind of gives you a little bit of drainage under, under the eyes when you're, the eye cream is applied with a roller. So basically hydration, hydration, hydration with a focus on anti-acne with the benzoyl peroxide and sun care, sun protection, which is, which is the SPF. At night, I cleanse with like a cream cleanser, CeraVe I use. Then I'll do pretty much the same thing. I'll do a lip mask before bed. I think it is. Sure. And I, yep, it's a good one. I also do eye cream. I'll often put on a heavier, a heavier serum. I use one that has an AHA acid in it. It's, it's the, it's a raspberry based AHA acid from Drunk Elephant. I'll use my Retin-A. I've used Retin-A in my first since I'm 17, so nearly 20 years. Just a pea size amount. And I'll mix that in with my heavier moisturizer. Let's think that's, and then I put on my brass serum. At night, yeah, I can on brown serum on, on clean, dry brows. But I tend to find myself a little shiny throughout the day often. At nighttime, I'll, I don't care if I'm glowing to the moon and back. It's, <laughs> I like the hydration. It's definitely from my challenges to my skin over the years have been concerned with acne. And as I get older, that concern still lingers a bit. But now it's, of course, hydration and anti Sure. You know, you mentioned you obviously use your brow serum, but I wanted to ask, what is your brow routine in general? Mm -hmm. So tinting my brows makes a really big difference. They can kind of be a mousy brown with a little bit of blonde in the summer. So I like to tint them. I'll have someone on the Joey Healy team do it or I'll do it myself. I mix together a couple of brunettes, a little bit of a graphite gray, and even a dot of black just to punch it up. That's every month. But you know, they always say like the shoot cobbler has holes in his shoes. So sometimes <laughs> it's like every seven to eight weeks, I'm like, oh, right, I have eyebrows. I should do something. <laughs> the tinting really makes a big difference. I do very, very light tweezing because I like them to kind of be full and bushy. And I also think, you know, for me having a little bit more of a power brow, kind of expected, but it's also like kind of a, it's like a, it's like a business card, you know, it's like, Hey, eyebrows here, but a good tinting and a minimal cleanup. And when they're freshly tinted, they have a lot of impact. I like to use just clear brow gel in the morning. I use the Joey Healy brow structure clear set. It doesn't get crispy or crunchy or flaky. And then I feel like sometimes when I need a little bit extra umph or when the tinting is maybe fading a little bit, I'll use a brow powder. Ours is Lux Brow Powder. The color is called Corduroy. It's our number one seller. It's a very unattractive ash when you look at it in the actual in the actual pot. But it really kind of on the skin oxidizes and turns into a really in, like, kind of invisible like like it looks really like a shadow cast on skin for me. So a little bit of brow powder, and then at night I use my serum nightly. It's a pretty straightforward routine, but just like everyone else, I'm always like, oh my God, I have to leave for work. Oh, the Uber's coming. I So I'm just like every other chaotic person in the world running out the door. And that's why I like that. Just the clear gel will often do it, but sometimes a little bit of powder if I need that extra help. Sure. I relate to your struggles so hard and the fact that you, you know... You're a brow specialist and sometimes you have to, you know, remind yourself to get your brows tinted. I, even though I'm a beauty expert, I am the first one to be like, wow, I haven't colored my hair in months. Maybe I should do that. Or like, wow, I need to get a facial. Or wow, I totally forgot to wash my face this morning. Like, uh, it's so true. Every day, it's like I crack my knuckles. I like, I, I'm standing up and I'm really in there 
working on drafting like the perfect browse for these for these individuals and you know running the business and all the other things that come along with that and then sometimes i catch myself i like won't look in the mirror all day i'm like wow i mean like, i really have to tend to my own stuff like, <laughs> I, it is funny it's very very easy to get caught up and then just forget about us exactly no i relate to that so so hard what are your well-being must-haves and i love asking this this question, because, you know, here we look at beauty through the lens of well-being and taking care of yourself. So how do you take care of yourself? It's a great question. I feel like my living in New York is a challenge. It's an assault on all five senses at all mm -hmm. times. So we do really kind of hold a lot of stress. I also work with the public, which I love. I love talking to people. I feel like I shine in that kind of role, but, you know, with big Leo energy out there, but it does. <laughs> It does, it does deplete you naturally. So to, for me, a lot of the things I do to take care of myself are things that are like a little bit more solo. So I like doing yoga practice. I love to read. I like, I just bought, I agree, this country house I'm in for the, the weekend. I, it's upstate just a bit. And to me, that was like a, a big kind of like, a, like a promise to myself that I'm going to remove myself from that. I don't have to wear that stress on me at all times in the city and to have a physical representation of a place I can go to and reconnect in nature. I have a nice hike with a friend at 5 p.m. today, which I'm so looking forward to, like on the Hudson. For me, I feel like I, I it was like for an extremely busy, chaotic life, I needed some sort of extreme silence, extreme tranquility. <laughs> <laughs> so this has kind of been something where it's a little treat to myself, but it's something in that way where I have, I've called into my life. Like I'm like, it's, it's a necessity that I break away. It's important. I deserve it. And I'm going to like fully indulge in those moments. And so for me, it's about be a little bit of solitude, but it's also about reconnecting with nature physically removing yourself from your stressful environments. That's why I think sometimes working from home for people, they don't realize the kind of stress that it imbues is like their space is kind of crowded with all of these other things in their lives that they can't just like be their space. So for me, I feel like that's been really important is to kind of pluck myself unintended out of my everyday life and reconnect with nature and be often solid. Well, I think that's incredible advice. This whole episode was filled with incredible advice. You are so, so brilliant when you talk about brows. Clearly brilliant in general. I love learning from you. So thank you so, so much for joining me today and filling us all in on how we can better take care of our brows because it is so important. They, they're they delicate little things. Resilient, but delicate. And we need to they take are. care of Resilient them. Resilient, but just like us. <laughs> I really hope that in the course of the episode, there's a lot of information kind of thrown out there, some more technical than others, but that people can extract just a couple things that they can take with them to have a better brow journey moving forward. Thank you so, so much. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want more beauty content, you can find it at mindbodygreen.com or any of our social channels. And finally, if you liked this podcast, don't forget to rate and review us. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.